Welcome to the podcast that puts a finger on the pulse of medicine and technology. On this show, you'll hear from investors, industry executives, and healthcare providers on the science and business of medicine. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib, and this is the State of MedTech. Getting CME is as tough as a clinician, so it helps when you're able to get a CME through things like a podcast. And this is one of those rare uh, opportunities. This learning experience is powered by CMEFI, a platform that brings relevant CMEs to busy clinicians at the right place at the right time. So after reading or listening to uh, this piece of content, clinicians can click the link in the notes below to reflect and unlock an AMA PRA category one credit. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Omar. I'm Khatib, your host and head of state for the state of MedTech. I'm joined by a very special person, somebody uh, who I've followed on LinkedIn for many years now because she has just such a fantastic uh, talent when it comes to storytelling of what's going on in the healthcare world. And me personally, I'm honored. I have to say I'm honored because I just found out this is her first podcast, ladies and gentlemen. She's done radio. This is the first podcast. So very honored. Beth Kutcher, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Where are you calling in from, by the way? I'm doing great. I'm calling in from San Francisco. I'm in our beautiful office here in Soma, and it's great to be on your show and doing my first podcast. I know. Seriously, I, I, I'm astounded. But like, I guess it's the first time for everything, you know? So welcome to the show. Yeah. And you know, for a little background for our audience, you know, uh, you and I first connected, uh, I think three or four years. No, I think it's been four years ago now. Uh, when I started at Potrero and predictive health was starting to take off, you um, were very much at the forefront of leading and growing LinkedIn's thriving healthcare community. For what it is today, you really laid the foundation for that back then. And I remember you came by the Theranova offices, the incubator ad, you did a tour with us and everything. And you know, since then, I've really appreciated uh, everything that you do on LinkedIn, especially in terms of keeping people up to date for all the great things that are happening in the industry especially given that we just went through a pandemic. But before we get into all this, tell us your story, your origin story. Where are you from? How did you, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, and you're right. I was actually LinkedIn's first healthcare editor. When they posted the job, I think I applied just because it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, this was back in 2015 before LinkedIn really had a content strategy. And they were looking for someone to create one for key audiences. And when I arrived, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I realized it was not because they were bad at hiring, but because it was really going to be up to me to tell them as the healthcare expert what what would resonate. And so I did a lot like, of trial and error. Where were you coming from, by the way? I was at Modern Healthcare Magazine. It's a smaller trade publication, but pretty well-respected in the field. Um, before Very that, well-respected. I was covering, I was in Nashville when I did that. Before that, it was in New York City. We were born and raised, lived in every borough. Fun, fun fact, not on my LinkedIn profile. So, what and what borough do you do you do you uh, claim though? When someone's like, "Oh, where in New York are you from?" What do you claim? I guess I'd have to claim Staten Island because that's where I live the longest. And the funny thing awesome. is, everyone always says, "Even Staten Island." That's always their reaction. Um, but that's <laughs> that's where I live the longest. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. So you came over as the first person for healthcare in LinkedIn, which is huge, and especially. Five years ago, I mean, LinkedIn is a great community today for information and content. But, you know, five, six years ago, it was still in this like weird teenage phase of like, hey, we're no longer just a resume platform. Like we actually have content and stuff. So what was that like? 
Yeah, so I had to learn pretty quickly what people wanted from LinkedIn. And I would go into these meetings and I would tell people to post more. Or I'd say, you know, doctors and especially doctors who had their own social media platforms, their own professional associations, they give me this look like, mm, okay, I don't really get it. Um, but I really zeroed in on the strategy, what I called the skills you don't learn in medical school. And when I started giving them the pitch, which is, you know, maybe you want to consult for pharma. How do you do that? You know, how do you prevent joining the next Theranos? And then I could see the wheels turning. The article that you talked about where I was at Picaro, that was part of my health invention series, which ran until December 2019. And it was about clinician entrepreneurs and really resonated. It was one of the most popular topics that I've covered here because I think people want to think, learn the skills, those business skills, those productivity skills, uh, the tech skills. And LinkedIn was a place where they could learn it. Absolutely. And, you know, um, it, since since the time I know you, you've always been a very like humble, down to earth person. So I'll I'll do the hyping up for you. But you know those article series really did a lot for the LinkedIn community, especially for physicians, because you know for me I've been bullish on LinkedIn since 2014, 2015, and I'll never forget that you know people a lot of in, large industry players laughed at the idea when I said, hey, like you should spend more time making content and engage on LinkedIn. And they're like physicians don't use LinkedIn. That's the dumbest. I'm like, no, you'll see. But your 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 article series not only brought more engagement and, and and got a lot more physicians active on LinkedIn, but it made it made things exciting. I mean, this is a great industry to be in. But you know, we often get overlooked because you see like tech and fintech and everything. And so this is a great industry mainly because one, there's exciting stuff going on. But of course, what we do is is you know it's a very noble calling. You know, we're doing things that have to do with health. And so the that article series was really really quite fantastic. And so the team has definitely grown and everything. So like how have things evolved since then? So I was one of the first 20 editors here, I think, when I joined. And now we have more than 80 uh, around the world. Wow. Actually, yeah. So the U.S. is still our largest office by sheer number. But in terms of where we have the most coverage, it's international, actually, and where we're growing the fastest, which is super exciting. I was actually pretty jet lagged the first time I met you. I just come back from meeting with the World Health Organization. I was out in Geneva and their global health campus, meeting with some other NGOs. It was really exciting to kind of create an actual global healthcare community. And that's what I always said about LinkedIn. It's really a 360 where it's not just doctors talking to other doctors, but doctors talking to nurses, pharma executives, and really creating that, that 360. That's exactly right. And I always appreciate that. I mean, the other place at healthcare, you know, Facebook, it's very much like limited to groups. Instagram, it's you know the the discoverability is very difficult. Twitter is great, but again, sometimes it gets sawed off. LinkedIn has just done such a fantastic job in terms of bringing all these communities together. And what I love is like you know I started a uh, aside from this podcast a newsletter called the State of MedTech, and so when I publish these articles, what I love is seeing physicians, industry execs, med students, everybody kind of like chiming in and having these discussions. And it you know LinkedIn just has the right platform to have these like deeper, more thoughtful discussions, which I've always appreciated. Now, I got to ask you a question on the on the global growth, because, you know, me and other LinkedIn content creators, we did notice like in our numbers that like, for some reason, international keeps like growing, you know, in terms of engagement, and everything, like, what are the top two or three countries that are growing when it comes to engagement, and everything specifically to LinkedIn healthcare, if you can share? Well, one of our most engaged audiences, I don't have exact numbers for you, unfortunately. So I'm yeah. just kind of spitballing off the top of my head. Yeah, totally, seen, totally. 
Uh, one of our most engaged healthcare audiences is actually in the UK. People love to talk about the NHS. I've done some reporting there. I've been out there um, a few times to meet with people there, develop the audience. We've done surveys about some of the discontent that people feel working at the NHS. I was told I need to be very careful, though, as an American coming in and trying to tell people. It's kind of like the New York City subway. Everybody hates it or loves to gripe about it, but don't let anybody else tell you it's not the best in the world. So um, that's been <laughs> kind of fun to learn. Um, I think France is doing some really interesting things in healthcare. They We do everything in local language. So I don't know if we have any French speakers that are listening to this podcast, but they have really, they've got some really... Um, meaningful people that they've managed to get into their their flow yeah france you know uh was kind of came out of nowhere because you know just in the last couple of years a lot of really exciting med tech companies have come out of there one uh, a robotic company called moon surgical is doing some great things so that's very interesting to hear so uk and france what about what about on the uh, western hemisphere outside of the u.s and, and north america i guess yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's important for you to point out that even though we have 80 people around the world, I'm the only healthcare specialist on the team. So it's really getting someone who has a passion project for this. We do have editors in Australia. I've tried to cover that. We have Japan, India. India is another huge English speaking country for us. Brazil is another one. But it really, you know, these are these are small teams, two to four people sometimes. They're doing a microcosm of everything we do in the States. So you know, I, I think I'm still the, <laughs> the center of it, but certainly, you know, we welcome people from, from all over the world, all languages, um, create a healthcare community on LinkedIn. I hope we, we talk more about that in a bit, but, you know, people should start their own. I think we, we tried to definitely be more self-service. I'm just here as a guide, uh, not, not the only person telling you how you should LinkedIn. No, totally, totally. Well, you know what? Let's let's get into the community aspect of it, if you'd like. You know, you, I know that you started um, a new uh, LinkedIn group called Path to Recovery. I'll leave a, I'll leave links to all this and your handle below in the show notes. But tell us more about uh, like these groups. Like, why why is it important to, for for the LinkedIn LinkedIn users to get more involved with them? Right. So I think so. Kind of taking a step back, I took a small pause from healthcare during the worst possible year, 2020, because I moved into a management role. And so, you know, after realizing we can't go a whole year during a pandemic without a healthcare editor, I was asked to kind of wear both hats. And so at that point, I needed to reevaluate the healthcare strategy and realize there was basically one story in healthcare this, these days, and it was COVID. And so I started a newsletter called Path to Recovery. We'd already kind of missed the initial wave, right? Uh, not the COVID wave, but sort of the, the, that, that acute crisis and now it's kind of like, where do we go from here? Um, we're kind mm -hmm. of settling into this new normal. We're kind of, we know what's coming. What's coming is, can still overwhelm us. And so this is an, uh, the new, so there, I have a newsletter and it's a place to discuss some of these issues. And really what I do is I highlight, I don't do a ton of original reporting anymore, but I highlight conversations that are happening around LinkedIn um, from some of the most influential voices that, that post regularly. I realized the reason I started this group, and I actually started it just this week, so very timely, is I realized that a lot of these conversations that were happening were bringing in people outside of healthcare. And I had this mm -hmm. feeling that maybe people who are so immersed in it don't necessarily want the peanut gallery to weigh in. And, and a perfect a perfect example would be vaccines. And I think, you know, every time I post about something like hospital vaccine mandates, a very important topic, they get flooded with comments from people who have never worked in healthcare, don't necessarily, and, and their, their opinions might be valuable, 
but, but they're not a healthcare professional. But they're not healthcare professionals and and they shouldn't dominate the conversation. And so I figured there's a space for both. You know, it's not one or the other. You can find both on LinkedIn. I think as an editor, a lot uh, my philosophy is that a lot of what I should do should be public because it's about creating that open space. Um, The more readers in general, easier to find. But sometimes you just kind of want to go off to the side and, and talk with those people and create that sort of dynamic community we're talking about. It is 360, but sometimes it needs to just be um, just healthcare. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, and I think one of the advantages LinkedIn has like for better or for worse is that, you know, a lot of these things that end up having like really difficult virality to deal with, say, I mean, Twitter is kind of a great example of that. You know, LinkedIn seems because of the more professional community it has, it has a little bit more time to sort of gauge and figure out like, okay, we're seeing these issues in these other platforms. So then how do we set up our own, you know, procedures and operations to sort of take care, you know, to, to manage these things. So you do want to have open public discussion, but at the same time, like you don't want the handful of healthcare professionals who actually can speak intelligently on this topic to get buried under, you know, lots of comments from just random people, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I think part of it is creating a safe space for lack of a better term is I don't want to get to the point where people are afraid to voice their opinions on things or just want to talk about something that maybe they don't want to air with a, their wider network. Um, one of the most popular topics I covered bef- in before COVID was, and by popular, I mean, it got the most engagement, was about nurse bullying. And somebody mm. wrote a piece about just the terrible atmosphere for nurses. And, and it, it came from this sort of top-down hierarchical hazing culture there. It was great. And that was, she wrote it openly. It was great. I think... But I could also see somebody saying, I want to talk to other nurses about it, just kind of in a closed group rather than, you know, a larger forum where, you know, I might get tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of views. Right, right. That makes sense. Let me ask you, you know, so as 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 LinkedIn's healthcare 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 uh, leader, um, you know, what's your what's your advice? Because like one one thing that I me personally, uh, again, it's like a self-fulfilling thing. You know, I, I am encouraging and, and help a lot of physicians uh, spend more time on LinkedIn to get the most out of it, not only getting information, but obviously engaging, right? And I think LinkedIn just gets so much better that way. But like, what's your advice to physicians who are just getting on LinkedIn and trying to get started? I mean, what what's what is what do you mainly want to see out of physicians? Is it that you're hoping to see them more, like again, ideal scenario, more video content, articles more posting more polls like what 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 mix of media is is linkedin and and you mainly looking for so there's a lot to unpack there because i think you asked some interrelated but different questions i definitely did (laughs) (laughs) i told you this is an unscripted show you see this is the beauty about it (laughs) i'll say so if you go to my profile you can follow me first of all um subscribe to my newsletter but i also wrote a piece called How to Build a Healthcare Community on LinkedIn. And one of the things I mentioned in it is a coworker, doesn't cover healthcare, but she she describes LinkedIn as a platform for generosity. And hmm. I think if you, if you think about it in that way, then you kind of get a sense of what we're looking for. So, you know, I guess the debate over closed group, public forum, where people come to LinkedIn to share their professional expertise. Uh, it's not about wasting time you know, oh, I've got a few minutes between meeting, you know, check my other social media sites. This is where you go to invest in yourself. And 
and to help each other. And so I think the kinds of, I always say that our sweet spot is where the industry trend intersects with the career issue. So oh, you might hear, I like that. yeah. So you might hear about hospital mergers, right? And hospital consolidations, how they're rolling up physician practices with huge trends, especially several years ago. So you have your solo, you know, three person practice like my, my dad did when he was still practicing. When do you decide whether to actually sell? You know, maybe you want to go it alone. Maybe you've joined a hospital, but you're thinking, maybe I want to go back to private practice. How do you weigh those decisions? And I think it's also a little bit about vulnerability and kind of putting yourself out there. Every once in a while, I write about how I interact with the healthcare system. I think if you if you approach it from that perspective, then you kind of get what we're looking for. The the other piece of it, you mentioned what kind of content types. I would say I'm content type agnostic, whatever you feel most comfortable with. I will always feel most comfortable with writing because I, I'm better. I'm always, I always say I'm better in writing than any other form. Probably that's why this is my first podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if that's it. But if you're a video person, especially if you're a, a younger, you know, early career doctor, nurse, and, and you just prefer, prefer to be in front of a camera, go for it. Um, whatever you're good at will get the most engagement. And also you, who you are, you, every person is an expert in their domain, whether they realize it or not, even if you're still in college and, and trying to find your you know, career path, you're still witnessing history in a sense by being a student during COVID. And so we are, and, and medical education is a, another great example of, of a field that really has had to be reshaped uh, because of COVID. I want to hear all those experiences. Uh, you know something by virtue of just living your life and, and being a professional or a, a soon-to-be professional. So I'm glad that you answered that. So let me ask you, let me tell you the reason why I asked that. Because, of course, like, you know, I spoke, you know, throughout the week I'm interviewing different physicians, talking to different people. And some of the physicians I talked to, I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm interviewing Beth from LinkedIn. And they're like, oh, ask her what content type is going to help me, like, blow up on the algorithm. I'm like, guys, it's it just, that does that's not how it works. Like, just ask her. Like, okay, I'll ask you because I knew that you were going to say exactly this more or less, which is like, you got to pick something that you that you like that you're good at. And the thing again, what I like about LinkedIn, unlike an Instagram, unlike a Twitter or anything else, on one side, it's easy to grow on LinkedIn, you can just you connect with people, you can grow that way. That being said, you can, there's no such thing as an overnight success on LinkedIn. You can't do a crazy dance video and then all of a sudden you, you know, have all these people following you. You actually have to sh have a practice of constantly showing up, providing value, providing something interesting and insightful and may even entertaining. And that's what ends up working. And so like the physicians like Dr. Kossin, but he's the uh, kidney health expert. He always posts these videos on LinkedIn. He's, he's had su massive success. And what's the best part, and I, you know, he, he credits it and so do I, that LinkedIn helped him, you know, you said that LinkedIn is the intersection of industry trends and career decisions, correct? So yes. for him, he was a practicing nephrologist, was, you know, ready to change, you know, change it up. He didn't want to do clinical practice anymore. And so he and I got connected through LinkedIn. I encouraged him to do more content on LinkedIn. And fast forward a year later, he is now exited clinical practice and he's spending more time as a like chief medical officer in industry working between like industry and, 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 and clinics, you know? And so I feel like that's kind of like the power of LinkedIn is that, you know, there's no tricks to this. It's just possible. It's just showing up and spending time with the platform and providing that content and having those meaningful discussions. I mean, that's the right way to think about it, right? Well, yes. I mean, I think it's a platform where you get what you put into it you get out of it what you put into it and if and so it's not the other thing I think that's important is it's not just 
posting and posting and posting necessarily, whatever content type you choose, you got to go to other people's pages and engage with them. You know, exactly. if someone comments on your post, respond. Uh, I think that's where sometimes people get tripped up is they're so focused on churning out content instead of thinking about how can I actually engage with others and, and then they'll, you know, do the same to you probably or for you. Uh, so that's one thing I always encourage. Not to say that we don't sometimes have posts that go viral or articles that go viral. It happens, yeah. It happens, but but yeah. that's the whole that's the whole point of a social media platform. It's not a media platform. It's a social media platform, which means there's media that you can engage with. And I I know I completely agree. And actually, I mean, one interesting trend that I saw this past year, mainly in the demand gen uh, and growth marketing arena, is that a lot of the people's comments, because you know the the character limits have been extended, I guess the comments are actually sometimes even better than the posts. Like some people get really deep, uh, interesting t uh, comments on like certain uh, exp uh, certain topics. And a lot of times I look at, I look at posts just to go through the, com to, through the comments because there's a lot of good stuff in there. You know, so I think that there's, there's all these really interesting dynamics that have happened on LinkedIn. Now, let me shift a little bit because again, you, you shifted away from just, uh, uh, I guess, your like traditional journalism now you're you're essentially curating a lot of a lot of content and voices right so in the past year like you know two of the so two of the articles that uh when i went through your linkedin um and read you know read up and got caught up on some things two of your best performing articles at least in terms of engagement everything one was uh you know you wrote it in september this past uh, september COVID changed everything. How does shell shock profession get back on its feet? And then the other one is today, almost every business is in the healthcare business. So I'm wondering like after this year, you're like at the epicenter of healthcare on LinkedIn. What patterns and trends have you noticed? Like what kind of interesting things have stood out to you and what have you learned? Yeah. So the Again, first piece many you... questions in one. <laughs> the, <laughs> the first piece you mentioned was actually the kickoff of my newsletter. And it was really exciting to see the engagement on that because I think it, it showed that there is a space for this. Uh, the second one, actually, we pulled some LinkedIn data for our annual top startups list. Uh, we also do top companies. And we, we look at where the world wants to work by, by crunching various data points. And mm. so, you know, healthcare, not surprisingly, was factored more so than pre-pandemic into, into that coverage. So uh, thanks for, for pointing those out. I would say one, on LinkedIn, this idea of medical futurism and, and med tech resonates really strongly. And I think it's because when you think of worlds coming together, you've got engineers, you've got healthcare folks, you also have a lot of lay people that are just really interested in this space, whether you know they're coming at it from a patient perspective or they just think it's cool. And it's also a place where there's a lot to debate. It's very meaty. You've got these different cultures that are coming together. Uh, you've got engineers that are trying to start a company in stealth mode and you know, all, everything's proprietary. And then you've got doctors that want everything to be peer reviewed and they want to see everything. And so mm -hmm. I think that culture class is just fascinating, always does well on LinkedIn. Uh, debates over artificial intelligence in particular does really well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, the other thing I would say is, is staffing issues. And I know this is a, a med tech podcast. And where I think the intersection is, is when people talk about med tech, healthcare people I'm, I'm referring to, you know, some of the consumer stuff gets a lot of excitement. But what doctors seem, and nurses seem to care about a lot is, is technology that improves their workflow. And administrators yeah. really want something that's going to solve staffing issues. And so I think that's the intersection for, for this audience. 
And I, I think those are those are probably the I mean, you could you can hang your hat on, on either of those topics um, as your first debut to LinkedIn. Yeah, no, I com- no, I completely agree. And I think, you know, what's what's really interesting that I've seen, at least in in like my anecdotal data gathering over the past year and everything is that, you know, as physicians are getting more and more engaged on LinkedIn, right, and producing more content, they're seeing this as an opportunity to engage directly with industry because you know, surprisingly enough, and I can say this, they don't teach you any of these things in medical school. They definitely don't teach you this stuff in residency. So, you know, there's a lot of people I know, like one of my medical school classmates is a spine surgeon now. Um, you know, until he started using LinkedIn, like he had no idea, like, hey, if I want to advise a company or get involved in startups, like, how the hell do I do that? You know, and a lot of these things that are taken for granted, a lot of physicians actually don't know. So LinkedIn has become like a really good, you know, jumping off point for people just to kind of learn and connect and engage and everything you know during the pandemic i know it's 2021 but like if you can think back during 2020 like of course like this was such a provocative and edgy topic because you know we're getting information in real time so nobody you know we're kind of in the, fo- in the fog of war what were some of the more difficult things that you had to sort of manage during 2020 as you know as, as the leader of healthcare in, in linkedin Good question. Um, I did. I did mention that I wasn't covering healthcare in 2020, and I think that was a. <laughs> but because. But but at but at some point you were brought you 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 came back. But weren't you wearing two hats at the same time back then, or not, or not at all? Not till 2021. Oh, I not till 2021. Okay, got I it. Say, I mean, so that I was like I, 2020 is your sabbatical in management. Is is what I'm hearing. Sort of, yeah. Um, focusing on my my own team's mental wellness. I think you know. I I created a healthcare community before I left that had a ton of organic traction. And I think people just continue to share their stories, to lean on each other, and to pick up the mantle to a certain extent. And I think that shows the power of the LinkedIn community, that I'm really only one person, and I'm overseeing content for literally millions of healthcare professionals that we have on LinkedIn. I'm, I, you know, I consider myself a convener to some extent, but, but, but the audiences and the content creators are, are really at the heart of all this. Yeah. And so like, how, what is a, what is your normal week look like in terms of like going through this content curating? Cause again, when you put these great articles together, they're very well researched and you're of course pulling together a lot of really great information, but that, that, that's a lot of, it's a lot of content. So how do you, how do you go about doing that? Well, it's sort of like being a traditional reporter, except instead of calling somebody up and asking for a quote, I ask them to share on LinkedIn. And so I'm always reaching out to people that are interesting and asking them. I have a series called hard cases where doctors and nurses share the toughest challenges of their careers and how they resolved it. Uh, so I, I'm always I look for contributors, and that's like I, within within comments. Like you do you do a post, and then you're looking for for people to comment or or direct message you. What is that What is that process? I'm look looking like? for people to write. So people, anybody who wants to write about share their story. And we've had people from you know medical school deans to like that nurse actually when she wrote about bullying, it was part of the hard cases series. We've had people write about being worried about performing a you know a, an intimate exam on someone that was much older, and then they missed a colon cancer diagnosis, things like that. Really, some really poignant and hard hitting. Some more about, you know, how to incorporate an EHR system. I think the head of Kaiser's medical group wrote about that. That was one of the early pieces when I first launched that series. So it's really run the gamut. 
and I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> no, don't I worry. Lost my train of don't, no, that's okay. That's look, it, it it happens. It happens. And plus, I'm throwing I'm throwing a, a lot a lot of like fun questions at you. So your questions like, are very multifaceted. <laughs> Try to they get are they them. are. Yeah, I know they are. They are. <laughs> that's that's something that I got to work on. I got to pick like one one thing at a time. <laughs> one so, okay, theme at a time, right? Okay, here we go. What, here's here's the one thing. And by the way, I'm not I'm not cutting the, cutting this out. I gotta you know I gotta <laughs> you know I, people. Okay. I'm not perfect. People gotta hear this. So look. So picking one thing. Okay. So you mentioned the importance. So you started. You know, you're going into 2022, and when we're releasing this episode, it will be at the very beginning of 2022. What are some of the some of the initiatives that you're hoping to get launched that you you know that are really top of mind for you? I know you started Path to Recovery Group, but like, what are some big initiatives that you want? to happen from the healthcare community. I mean, look, physicians, industry professionals, investors from the LinkedIn community, they're all listening to this. So like, what do you want to see from us? Well, the first thing I want is during the week of the JP Morgan conference, come and post your predictions. I'm going to be doing a big prediction roundup next month. Oh, I'm so happy you just mentioned that because I just started working, like literally this morning, I started working on it. I did a live stream just because of that. Okay, that's very helpful now. So predictions for JP Morgan. Okay, got it. I yes. want to know what other people want to see. I, one thing I want to build is I, I get a lot of readers on each of my Path to Recovery newsletters. I, I think maybe even more than that first one you mentioned, but I, I'd really love to see more comments. I Oh, you asked me how I get my sources, and, and sometimes I get pitched just like a traditional journalist. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, feel free to email me or, you know, shoot me an email. And, you know, I... I cover, and we also have our news module. I guess that's another piece of this. So on the right-hand side of the homepage under today's news and views, you have all of our trending coverage. None of that is algorithm. All of it is curated by our human editors. And if you see our news strategy is we write a short blurb, but the rest of it is all comments. So when I'm, when I'm calling sources and asking them to engage, um, it's usually, you know, post about something in the news. People always want to know what should I, uh, what should I post about? And I always say timing is everything. So I can't really predict what's going to be ahead in 2022, but follow the news cycle and you'll know what you should post, what I want to hear from, from you. Um, for me, you'll continue to see more data-driven coverage. We're seeing, a, I've, I'm hearing anecdotally about nurses leaving the bedside. And so I want to see, you know, how our numbers hold up. For example, um, the Atlanta just pointed, uh, reported that, almost 20% of doctors and nurses have, have left the field. So I think mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that will eventually show up in LinkedIn data. We'll be able to do more. Um, I've got an exciting live show coming up. Um, oh, right. In January. Um, Dean at Tulane is going to be talking about health equity. So that's going to be nice. fun. What, what's um, your live show yeah. going to be on? And what's it called? So it's going to be about health yet. equity. Oh, um, okay. I'm just going to call it Path to Recovery. Got it. So, and then path, path, path to recovery. That's a that's a newsletter that people can subscribe to. It's a group. What is it? It's all of the above. <laughs> all the above. Okay, got it's it. All the above. Yeah, it's a franchise. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. Yeah, and you know, J.P. Morgan this year is going to be very interesting, just because 2020 it was kind of like I think they can't. Yeah, no, no, no. It happened in 2020. During 2021, it was it was like an afterthought. Like after it happened, I was like, oh yeah, J.P. Morgan happened. I completely forgot. But I think 2022, it's it's going to be kind of like back to normal. So it's going to be very interesting. What are some of your predictions for J.P. Morgan? Well, I think I think digital health will continue to be hot. It's been hot for years, but I think there'll continue to be investment in it. I think it's going to completely upend medicine. I think uh, or healthcare in general. That includes you know, nursing and pharmacy. Um, the staffing shortage is going to have to be addressed. I think workers, we're seeing this in other industries, workers have a lot more power. I think that's going to happen in the healthcare profession as well. Um, 
you know, I work in tech and my husband is a physician. And I mean, it's it's worlds apart in terms of how I was treated during the pandemic. Is he, a- Com- is he active on LinkedIn? He, yeah, he's relatively active. Yeah, he's, he's relatively active. <laughs> are you at the dinner table and you're like, you're like, hey, you haven't posted in like a week or two. What's up with that? Like, <laughs> are you usually keep, <laughs> he likes keep all my articles. Church and state message? Yeah. Um, but Dora, yeah, I do the same I, thing with my wife. She likes all my articles too. She's usually the first one. <laughs> he's, he's a he's a top supporter of mine. Um, and he and he posts too. And so he's, um, I won't embarrass him by by calling him out. But you know, it's, it's just. <laughs> I mean, you think about like where, where, which industries are investing in their employees. It's definitely not healthcare. And, uh, you know, uh, when I post about burnout, you know, inevitably nurses will write in and say, yeah, what resources, you know, like you can only hear them sort of, you know, giving me that, you know, that dry, sarcastic laugh in the comments. You know what, you know what the, the, the tagline for healthcare is, or like, you know, working in the hospital, it's like do more with less. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much the mantra, you know. Um, so you know, g- sort of jumping jumping back. So J.P. Morgan predictions was one thing. What are some other things that you're you're hoping to see from the healthcare community in 2022? Because again, like uh, the community is very strong, especially in the med tech community. Which when I say med tech, I I include both in- industry and physicians for that. So they're always curious, like how can we make LinkedIn better? What does LinkedIn want to see from us? Because I mean, part of it is that they do want to make it better, but the other side of it is that everybody's trying to do something that's going to you know, allow them to reach more people and, and gain more, you know, gain more, more of an ability to be a thought leader on LinkedIn. So what other requests do you have, you know, from the community in 2022? Well, I want to, I want to know what's happening on the ground where they are. I want to hear personal stories. I want to hear about their workplace issues. We're hearing about the great resignation, the great reshuffle. It's happening yeah. in healthcare and it's going to continue very, to happen. Very much. Yeah. Very, the, the great resignation is very interesting because, you know, I spoke to m- multiple med tech recruiters. Um, well, I guess I contributed to that because, like, I resigned a few weeks ago, and now I'm kind of doing my own thing at the moment. Um, but there's this is like the best job market that's ever existed, you know. And so there's something very interesting going on for that. Um, yeah. So I don't, you know, yeah. So I I don't know. So uh, sorry, I, I kind of interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> No, and it's funny because we did a survey, this was even pre-pandemic, where 40% of doctors and pharmacists who were less than five years out of school said they were interested in joining a tech company. I don't know how many would actually act on that, but it's a huge shift, and especially now. And every Why do you, every, why do you think that is, by the way? I, like, I think it's a cultural just, thing. I mean, it's so it's so evident to me that you know, the cult, I mean, you see this in finance, too. Um, investment banking, for example, All, new mm. MBA graduates, they want to come to tech because we've got a great work culture here. Um, things like employees actually are, are valued. Um, I mean, people, everyone jokes about the free food and, and, you know, the beautiful offices and the, you know, the game rooms. And But it's so much more than that. It's, it's that, you know, companies really treat you like you are their most valued resource. In healthcare, you actually are the most valuable resource. And yet, I don't get the You're sense treated like from, a commodity. Right. <laughs> Literally. You know, Literally. yeah. And yeah. And, and so, you know, if you, if you think of yourself as a, you know, a third year college student, you know, a sophomore, even a freshman, and you're thinking, what industry do I want to join? You could join anything, right? You have high SAT scores, you're an Ivy League school, where do I want to go? Well, the people who seem to be having the most fun are in tech. And I, I think that, you know, healthcare should be, should be taking note of that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, you know, something that uh, me personally, I've tried to influence over the last few years, like when I speak at conferences and everything and help companies, 
is that at least on, you know, the industry that serves, whatever industry you look at, the customers they serve, they usually by the de- fact become kind of like their customers. So the med tech industry, because they serve healthcare and medicine, they're also kind of conservative, right? And so it's taken some time for them to have also the right culture. So like the same way a hospital like will control a physician, it's like, oh, you're going to act, talk, walk exactly how we're going to tell you. Otherwise, we're going to fire you. It's the same thing in the industry. That started to change more and more because, you know, a lot of larger uh, med tech companies have realized like, yeah, not only is it not a good idea for us to prevent, let's say, our employees from posting more on LinkedIn, it's actually very helpful to us to reach other phys- to reach physicians, gain traction, all these different things. You know, and so a lot of them are having to battle with that. And I think the same thing in the healthcare system, which they're realizing, like, you know, we're gonna have to be a little bit more lenient on our on our providers to do other things outside of their job. Otherwise, they're just gonna all quit. You know, and I think we're starting to see that because people just get fed up. Well, the other thing that's worth pointing out is that the legacy med tech players are no longer the only ones. And every major consumer tech company from Amazon, uh, Microsoft, the parent company of, of LinkedIn, of course, even Facebook is getting into the healthcare space and they are hiring physicians and, and nurses and clinical staff. Uh, Amazon thinking of reshaping the pharmacy space, pharmacy having huge staffing shortages now, the work environment in retail pharmacy from what I've been hearing is, is terrible these days. And so if you are watching the space, even if you're in the, on the tech side, right, the med tech side, you've got some some big competitors that you need to deal with. And, and start of the, some of that is, you know, obviously product and, and strategy, and some of it is workforce. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I get really, and I think, you know, I'll tell you, I, Again, I'll, I'll save my predictions so I can I can I can uh, write them. And for for people who are looking to do JPM predictions, uh, do they put? Is there a hashtag they should use? How how do they best do that to get on your radar? You can either use the JPM hashtag, or I've been using Healthcare in twenty twenty two. Just short, just healthcare simple. Healthcare in twenty twenty two. Got it. Healthcare in twenty twenty two, and then the JP uh, the JP. What's the JP hashtag? Is it just JP? I think it's JPM twenty twenty two or something. Probably or, or twenty two. People I'll, use I'll, both. I'll people always it. use both. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, so where was where was I? You were See, talking... you lost your train of thought earlier. I lost mine. <laughs> you don't have notes. This is you have to write down. No, no, I don't do this. No, no, I do it live. I do it live. Well, this is not exactly live, but like, yeah, no notes, no notes at all. No. So you know, oh, what I was gonna say is that for for JP Morgan, you know, one of the things that I feel is going to be happening, like at least in the healthcare industry, just based on what we've seen recently, is that there is a time. So, okay, here's here's a, a bit of a prediction, okay? A couple years ago, the sexy thing was software. It's still sexy, but it's kind of like, yeah, no more hardware. Hardware's kind of made a comeback. And the way it's made a comeback is that there are certain companies like uh, like a, this one called Dermasensor. It's a derma, dermatology-based product, right? And I'm trying to think, I'll think of another one in a moment soon, but essentially these hardware companies that take the expertise of a specialist and put it in the hands of a primary care doctor. So with Dermasensor, for example, every primary care doctor can use this device and check um, any, any skin lesion or, 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 or any dermatological pathology and be able to diagnose the same way a dermatologist would. And of course that's going to catch like, you know, a lot of these, uh, 
uh, uh, cancers a little bit earlier. And so hardware is starting to enable these primary care physicians to become more like specialists. I think that's going to be one one uh, major trend. The Here's the rub, one, though, on that one. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. I, yes. So going See, back now, to now, AI. Yeah, go ahead. See, like, why the, it's unpopular. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah, please. Yes. Let's see. And by the way, I want to be mindful of your time. Do you have a hard stop in, in 10 or are you good? I, I'm good, but... Don't worry, this won't be a three hour, this won't be a three, yeah, this won't be a three hour long podcast, but yeah, no, no, keep, keep, keep going, keep going, please. So one of the, the challenges for hardware makers is that practices already have a lot of hardware. And so when you ask physicians about, especially radiologists about AI, they say, well, how, how's it going to work? You know, the field is dominated by the major players like Philips already and GE. How are you? How, I don't want any more of that, you know. And if they're softer, it needs to layer. So the the giants are continuing to control it. So I think that's a caveat. Um, it's a good prediction. Ah, here here's here here's my 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 rebuttal, my answer, my my you know yes, but yes. Okay, yeah. But do it. primary care physicians are literally making like they're they're not making very good money. They never have, and and this is the one way where they're like, oh, this is something that I can actually improve on if in the, the one area again this is this is a stretch psychiatry if we look at psychiatry and again this is completely mm. different yes psychiatrists yeah, no, totally. have yeah have now increased their clinics revenue because they've introduced something like trans uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation which is now a hardware device and introduces a procedure within the office and i think primary cares are starting to look more into that that's the only thing i agree yeah, though so in a, in a hospital Large hospital setting, like a radiologist, you're right. Like they don't want more stuff. But if you go to the private practice communities, like they don't, they don't have the, you know, they can't afford to buy like these really expensive things that use the big players. The big players are still focused on like these health healthcare systems. I think this is the other trend, not a J.P. Morgan trend, but I feel like after the pandemic, so you see this massive res resignation, right, that you're mentioning with physicians. Well, a lot of them saw how they were treated and the decisions hospitals made for better or for worse during the pandemic on how they were gonna treat their patients. I know personally two major department heads, one in cardiology, one in orthopedic surgery, quit their jobs and they're like, I'm going to open my own practice. And so I think there's just gonna be this new wave of private practice, but again, it's just so hard to compete these days. And that's, you know, there's um, one new LinkedIn physician, Daniel Paul, young guy, and he's been gaining a lot of momentum um, Daniel, you owe me for giving you a shout out on this. So he's, so, so this guy is a he's couple years out of fellowship, orthopedic surgeon, hated how practices were being run and is like, you know what? I'm not going to go work for a hospital. I'm not going to work for these group practices because none of this makes sense. And I hate insurance companies. So he not only has his own practice, it's a mobile orthopedic practice. So there's no office, mobile orthopedic no surgeon, cash-based. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe I, it and I believe it's a trend that can catch on because there's so much frustration with the traditional bounds of healthcare. I think I, what makes, well, I mean, for better or worse, it, it's going to change the patient experience as well. And I worry that if you want top-notch healthcare, you're going to need to be wealthy or work for a company that's deep pocketed. And if you're a Medicaid patient, we don't have insurance. It's going to be much more difficult if that's basically how things are going to be you know divided that's that's exactly what i thought and then he at least reading his posts it seems that they're you know 
so like he, he there's two surgeons so he's one there's another orthopedic surgeon that does c- something completely different where they're doing more cash base and their thing is that they actually are doing less procedures and going through these cash base alter- alternatives they have more preventative ways to help you know help a patient let's say get the access and care that they need so it, so it prevents them from getting worse to get to a point of, of surgery that was the one anytime i hear cash base surgery the the first thing i think of is like oh that's great if you have a lot of money but it seems like there's these alternatives and like even me i mean i'm not sitting on millions of dollars but like as somebody who holds private insurance i've gotten frustrated myself as a consumer and said like well i'm not going to wait 3 months to see somebody and i find somebody locally and i'm like okay what's your what's your cash base price to see you for the, and i'm like okay i'll just pay that so i don't know there's there's something i don't know what trend can emerge out of this but like the way healthcare is right now, it's just got to change. I feel like with this mass resignation, there's going to be all these other changes. But maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just confirmation bias. I don't know. So I'm one of these. I'm a patient at what I would call a concierge practice light. Um, you've seen these pop, pop up, one medical forward. And I yeah, think the, the yeah. fee is, is actually fairly reasonable. I mean, it's in the, the low hundreds. And I think more people can join that than a traditional concierge medical practice. But they try to treat you a little bit better. And I think they probably try to treat their, their doctors a little better, although I don't know, I've never actually, other than my experience as a patient, I don't, I don't know what the working experience is, but I wonder if that's also going to be a trend that, that sort of accelerates because I think it's true that the, if you can deal on volume, then you can keep your prices more reasonable and the, the cost of entry could be, you know, similar to an Amazon prime membership versus, um, or a LinkedIn premium subscription. <laughs> Plus <for> LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, yeah, but then if you're talking about, you know, thousands of dollars, cash price, um, I had this experience with our mental health system this past year is that it's, if you want to, you know, speaking of psychiatry, if you want to get a, an appointment and willing to pay a packet, they're still billing you at that, you know, $700 an hour rate, um, which is, is pretty steep, um, I would say, for the vast majority of, of people. Yeah. No, no, I no, I totally agree. And so there's the one interesting thing is that the system's starting to feel pressure. And I feel like that's that's usually when you see innovation is that people get frustrated. People are like, there has to be a different way. And then as people start getting creative about things, you know, then something just eventually gives. Like I feel like the mental health industry has been constantly trying to do telepsychiatry. And it was always just like it was kind of like telepsychiatry pre-pandemic was very much like what wearables were in 2014, 2015. Like it was like limited like to small group of like nerdy people who were really into it but like that's it but the moment that there was a need for it now it's become standard like for me personally and and people friends and family who either see a therapist or go to psychiatry nobody wants to go to an office again it's just like no no let me just do it through the computer cuz that's that's all i need and i feel like the the cost is so much better it's a lot more convenient i see uh, a therapist who's across uh, like two state lines i think you know yeah and so I mean, i'm wondering Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, something I, I think there's this is almost a cliche, but I, I think the you know, it's right for disruption, right? That's the word everybody's using. But I don't know if anyone's figured it out yet. I think a lot of people are probably trying. I think we're going to throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks. Um, maybe it'll be the big players. Maybe they'll say, you know, this is too complicated. We're pulling out and maybe it'll come from a field that we never expected. Uh, maybe it's someone like the, the young physician that you mentioned. Um, but I, I don't know if I if I see who the winners are. We, Winners and losers are going to be yet. Um, yeah, people are probably same here. better position than I am to, to say that. But right I don't think anybody does. I mean, look, you know, 
who would have predicted that after like two years in, like, what was it? I forgot the name of the company, but like Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan threw in the towel on the healthcare Mm -hmm. project. Like, oh Mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to change healthcare. Two years in, it's like, nope, unsubscribe. We're going to change our mind, everybody. Yeah. So at this point, like, it's hard to tell, like, who knows? Who knows? You know, and even when it comes to acquisition activity, there's certain companies where you feel like, oh, for sure, this company is going to be acquired by like one of the, you know, happened this week, you know, um, one company got uh, acquired you know, there's a company called Itmar. They do sleep sleep diagnostics. Everyone's like ResMed or Philips. One of the big sleep apnea plays is going to acquire them. Nope, it was Zoll. But when you dig deeper into it, you're like, oh, it makes sense because Zoll just acquired another another company that does um, it does the it has the first uh, FDA cleared implantable device for sleep apnea. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So there's a lot of interesting stuff. I feel like J- like JP Morgan this year is going to be lit. Not gonna yeah. lie. Will, yeah. will you? So I don't know in the past, but like this year, do you do you actually go to J.P. Morgan? Do you do you try and attend some of the events or or anything like that? Well, they just announced it's going virtual. So um, oh, I didn't it's know right that. Down, yeah, breaking news on, on LinkedIn today and our news. Breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I guess it won't be breaking news by the time this airs. But that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so usually it's in my backyard here in San Francisco, and I, I try to, if not go to the sessions themselves, most of which are posted because these are publicly traded companies and they have to, but I do find the most value out of the networking and the in the parties at night and, and some of the, the offshoot conferences. I don't know, I guess we're going to hear a, a flurry of announcements in terms of what's going to be virtual and, and what's not, if people are still going oh, to want to send employees. Yeah, so, so TBD, we're kind of at the inflection point right now. Um, it's, we'll see what, what happens by the time this airs, everyone that's, will know, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting because I mean, for those who, who have not been to JP Morgan, it is, it is insane because like, just picture like your biggest, like annual conference being held at the Moscone center or like one of those large conference centers, except the conference center is the entire freaking city. Like, I'll never forget, like, I was like, if I was at high school, like, a great side hustle would be, like, just get buying out a bunch of Airbnbs and renting them out for, like, thousands of dollars, because people are trying oh, to, people like, do meet. that. And they're, yeah, they're meeting in, like, bathrooms and stuff. I heard, like, at, at certain restaurants, it's, like, after an hour, you get charged, like, $15 per person per 15 minutes or something, you know? Hey, you so know, why just, not? <laughs> San Francisco I mean, really I, hasn't recovered, I think, to the extent it was pre-pandemic, and it's it's a bit of a ghost town here. Um, and maybe in some ways it's unfortunate. Well, I guess it, it's good for public health probably that they're that they're canceling it with Omicron, and, and we'll see um, whether that's still how that's shaking out by the time by the time this airs. But yeah, I mean, I think for businesses down there, this this was a huge boon to the to the local economy. Got it. Yeah, and look, I want to be mindful of your time, but you know, a few more a few more things I want to you know uh, address with you. So, looking looking back at sort of twenty twenty one, what were some of the things that perhaps like most surprised you? You know, about some of the content that you came across on LinkedIn, things that you learned. Was there anything that kind of like caught you by surprise that you were like, oh, I didn't I didn't expect that? No, everything went exactly according to, to expectations, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, I think... Um, I, 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, no, I really, so, so, yeah. something, something went down that you cannot share, but that's okay. I will not, <laughs> I will not press you. People are going to get on me and be like, dude, why didn't you, why didn't you like dig a little bit deeper? But like, you know, it's like, I also want to make sure I stay on LinkedIn. You know, I don't want to get blacklisted or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or proprietary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, um, something, something I did want to, I did want to, uh, bring up like when you, when you when you do some of your articles where you curate, you know, um, so for example, like the one about you know, how every business is becoming a healthcare company. I mean, how 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 have the comments been in general? Like, have you you know is it, is there some is there some kind of way that you you know those things have to be managed? Is it, you know like what what have have you, have you have you gotten any ideas at at least from the comments? Because one thing that again trend that we've seen from uh, from earlier is that. People are spending more time leaving deeper and more engaging comments. Like if somebody doesn't have a huge following, they go on somebody else's page who has a huge following, leave a deeper comment, everybody sees it, right? And so a lot of stuff gets discovered there. Has you or at least LinkedIn started curating like those comments start boosting them? Have those become their own thing? Yeah, so that a lot of times we'll write the article and then we'll do sort of a, a day two follow-up and it's reader reactions to the article, maybe an angle we didn't, expect but that showed up and then in our news module where we curate all these comments that's where we curate them or in our own newsletters that's where we'll say you know this is it's a way to take a pulse of what's going on and i think that i think the reason i, I struggled with the with the previous question is i think that level of of discontent that people are feeling right now i think we could have predicted it from 2020 i mean i don't think anything that's happening it's really all that surprising. I mean, I, I looked at, I mean, I knew we, you know, we went through this lull over the summer where everyone kind of expected mm -hmm. things. We I mean, there was so much optimism, right? And, you know, my husband was someone who cautioned, you know, the, the numbers of people who were vaccinated didn't match up with the, and even the numbers of people who were infected didn't match up. We still had this huge number of hosts, right? And so it was almost inevitable that this would happen. And I think, you know, there was a, a bit of cautious optimism in, in healthcare, but I think there was also this just like defeatism and if that's a word, but the, this level of defeat that people were feeling and, um, you know, the, they were happy for the reprieve. I think if you're, you know, in the a place like the Bay Area, you're probably feeling pretty good. If you're a place like Minnesota or Michigan these days, you're probably just like, you know, just overwhelmed. And, and I think, I think that's going to be continue to be on theme, unfortunately, uh, going into the new year. Definitely. Well, look, we appreciate your time. So we're going to wrap up. Um, one last question. Very happy to get to add on. <laughs> no, make it happen. <laughs> Very happy. No, no, we're going to, we're, yeah, we're going to, we're going to end on a, on a, on a happier note. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, before we get into the la you know, sort of the ending segment of this. So my last question to you, just to put you on the spot okay. is that, and you can't, you have to, you have to give a name. You can't say like, Oh, I love all of them. It's like, no, you don't love all everyone. So, so my question to you is that, look, You've been doing this for a few years now, so you've seen it all, and you've really kept track on things. Who are some of your favorite people within the healthcare community that you you either get inspired by, you enjoy their articles or content? Like, who are some people you want to kind of give some shout outs to? So I, I will name names, but I will also put in a plug for our top voices list that's coming out the week during the oh, JP Morgan yeah. week. And so we, yeah. we curated 15 names, and I don't want to give too much away, but we also have some some great um, some great influencers on the platform like uh dr pedros who is the director general of the world health organization that is what they call him i've met with his team and he's just been phenomenal in terms of posting 
Um, another great influencer is uh, Dean Leinmeiter of Stanford University School of Medicine. He was just on a live show with me. Um, I enjoy your content, Omar, of course. Um, but I'm sure everybody <laughs> here always already following you. Um, Dr. Rhonda Meadows at um, Providence. She does population health for them. Um, Bonnie Clipper, if there are any nurses on, she was the previous head of innovation at the ANA, um, has been great about, you know, talking about innovation. Um, some other innovation folks, Lyle Berkowitz is a, is a physician who writes about med tech. Um, oh, there's so many great ones. So yeah, stay tuned for the top voices list. It's coming out in mid January and there'll be lots of great names. Follow all of them. That's fantastic. How does the top voices list get curated essentially? Like, is there like an application for that? I don't think you can apply for those kind of things. No, it's, it's based kinda, on data. Yeah. And, and the data is based, not just, yeah, yeah it's, um, and it has to do with engagement. So we're really looking at engagement metrics. So not just how often do you post and how many followers do you have, but do you get a lot of comments? Do you comment in return? Um, so all those best practices I was mentioning earlier, the, that's the best way to, to one day be a top voice if you want to. Totally. All right. Now, now that we got that out of the way, we can, we're going to end the segment uh, with my favorite part, which is the rapid questions. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do like two or three rapid questions. Oh, you questions, didn't warn me about this. Questions. Okay. I know. No, that's the thing. I don't warn anybody about this. The only people who know about this is who, are people who have like listened to my shows in the past and they know what's coming or they're, okay, they've so, come so on the show myself already. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. First time listener. I'm yeah. sorry. This is like your first experience with the podcast. You're like, I'm never doing that again. Ever. Ever. i'm gonna get like i'm gonna get i'm gonna get messages you know in the future it's like it's like like hey dude like we wanted to have beth on our podcast she says she doesn't do podcasts because she's thanks (laughs) (laughs) so okay so first question to you okay during the pandemic we all bought like worthless crap but some of it was like really meaningful stuff you know some of us bought some cool books gadgets etc what was the coolest thing that you bought under 200 dollars could be a book, it could be a gadget, it could be anything. But what did you Amazon Prime for under 200 bucks? Well, I didn't Amazon Prime her, but I have to go with my quarantine cat who we adopted. You got a quarantine cat? We do. She's Her name is Katie. She's a Manx, um, which is a special oh. breed without a tail. And we love her. I resisted the idea of a cat for a very long time. My daughter finally wore me down, and she is just the most beloved family, family member. And she was, I think she was about $200 when we... I guess, I don't know if oh, bought is great. the right word. I didn't buy her. We adopted her, but, but you adopted we, her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a you know what? I had a quarantine cat as well. It was this he, you know when we were up in the bay. There's this, so orange cats supposedly genetically are all male and they're all like predisposed to be extremely friendly. I don't know why. This one cat was in my neighborhood. He was kind of abandoned by like a family. Like he he they were there, but they just never let him in the house because he fights with the other cats. So he's always outside. We started bringing him in, and he's like been in a number of my videos and everything. We did not bring him down to SoCal with us because he he like would roam that entire neighborhood, and I felt like it would be wrong to bring him with us. But yeah, I really miss that guy a lot. Yeah. I'm allergic to cats actually, but that cat was amazing. His name, best name by the way, Mr. Pancake. Oh, that is a good name. Great name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great name. It's a great name. Okay, so next question for you. Continuing education is a very important aspect of healthcare, you know, especially if you talk to doctors and nurses. This is just like, you know, a big part of it. For you in the last few years, like, is there a book, and I've also amended this for for people who don't read a whole, whole lot, but like a book or a podcast that you feel that you often recommend to others? Does it have to be healthcare related? 
No, 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 it does not. Yeah, and I, sh I need to preface that. You're the third person to ask me this. It does not, none of these have to be healthcare related. And maybe this is a recency bias, but I read a book called On the Clock recently, which is about how the, the changing world of work. It's about a journalist who goes undercover at an Amazon warehouse, an AT&T call center, and a McDonald's. And it's really eye-opening in terms of how, especially for a med tech audience, perhaps, how technology is creating, actually making work a lot more difficult for, for these essential workers. And um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. On, on the clock. Mm -hmm. Yes. Got it. Perfect. All right, two more questions, okay? Um, so throughout your career, no doubt you've had a lot of mentors. That could be your your spouse, your parents, friends, people you work with and everything. What was the most painful, no, most painful thing someone ever told you that actually made you better? Oh, this is an easy one. When I told my, my old school boss at Modern Healthcare that I was leaving traditional journalism, he started yelling at me said I would never make it to the New York Times um, and I was ruining my career. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's that's such like a media thing that like like my my old school boss I'm just picturing the guy from like the Spider-Man movie with like cigars like he's like you'll never make it and you'll never make it to the New York Times. <laughs> it doesn't help that you're New York either. So that's probably Oh god, you see? <laughs> so how did but how did that change you? <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I did take a, a moment to kind of, I mean, it, it did, I did have a little bit of trepidation joining LinkedIn because of that, you know, my making a huge mistake and, and I was leaving a field that I, I cared about very deeply, but now I feel, first of all, I've never looked back. I don't even, you know, know if the New York times is even my goal. And I don't, you know, I didn't know it's, if it was back no, then either. I, <laughs> as a friend, don't make the New York, for anyone listening, don't make working at the New York times your, your goal. It's not, it's not what it used to be. <laughs> but, you know, but, I, I think if. What I what I like about here is I think we're setting the tone not just for content strategy but content distribution and I and it's been really fascinating the skills that I've learned here and I think if I had, had listened to his advice I I probably wouldn't well I probably I there was no way I was gonna listen to his advice <laughs> but but joining LinkedIn has definitely made me a, a better media professional. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, last question. Okay, so I want you to pretend uh, that next year I take a billboard out. And because a lot of people are at home, let's say a digital billboard too. So, but a billboard nonetheless. Every person, every healthcare professional, let's say that's active on LinkedIn, is going to see this message every day they go into work. What message do you put on that billboard? About LinkedIn? About anything. So my personal mantra is always choose your happiness over your fear. I think in these COVID times when everyone has a lot of anxiety, I have to remind myself that about that, you know, sometimes fairly frequently, but, but yeah, you know, always, if, if you, something, if fear is holding you back, always choose your happiness over your fear. What a great quote. What a great way to end it. And, and very much resonating with me. Um, wow. What a, and this is your first podcast. <laughs> See, that's Thank the you. tough, that's the, that's you, that last question is the one that trips everybody up and they're like, oh, I need to think about that. I, I interviewed a spine surgeon a few weeks ago and he's like, and he's like set his website. I'm like, no, dude, that's not what I'm, no, not your website. Come on. That what a great, fantastic quote. Thank you so much. That was, yeah. that was wonderful. Thanks for having Beth, me. Oh, it's been an honor. Um, I hope to have you back. I hope I didn't scare you off, but I definitely hope to have you back. Uh, Audience, I'm leaving in the show notes uh, everything uh, that we just talked about, including Beth's uh, LinkedIn handle as well as her. Uh, you, you said that uh, Path to Recovery is a newsletter and a group, correct? Correct. 
perfect. I'll leave that all in the show notes. And for everybody listening, because I'll be doing it, I want to see that you guys do it as well. JP Morgan predictions, you need them one week before JP Morgan conference, right? No, you need them the week of JP Morgan's conference. Oh, the week of? Yeah. Okay, what's that? And that week is January 10th. January 10th. 10th. And I'm, my newsletter comes out on Thursdays. So make sure you post them between the 10th and the 12th. If you post them the post week before, the I can 10th, still 12th. use them. So I'm not saying don't do that, but you have until the 12th. Okay, so post between the 10th and the 12th. All right, predictions. Healthcare in, hashtag healthcare in 2022. Hashtag healthcare in 2022. We're going to make that trend. Awesome. Okay. Beth, hey, it was Great. such a pleasure. Stay on for just a few minutes just to chat. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm your host and head of state, Omar Amkatib. This is the State of MedTech, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of The State of MedTech. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib. Do us a favor. If you like this episode, share with somebody and go ahead on Apple and Spotify, wherever you are, leave a five-star review. Type a few nice notes about us. This is how we get other people to find the show. Thank you. and We'll see you next time. 